Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to Joni Petty about the importance of sleep for a healthy future. We'll investigate coronasomnia, one of the effects of coronavirus pandemic and the impact of sleep debt. Joni Petty is a behavioral strategist, the CEO of Resilient People, a company that focuses on mind, body, emotions, and purpose. She is a strategic facilitator, executive coach, and keynote speaker. She's also currently the president of the Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa. And I've known Joni for many years and can testify that she walks her talk. She eats specifically to fuel her body and mind. She's up every day at 4.30 a.m. to run and watch the sunrise. She has five comrades marathons under the belt. And if you sit in meetings with her online or in person, she does short bursts of stretching and movement in between working to keep her body and mind awake and activated. And she's busy pumping her muscles on the screen in front of me as we speak. And she gets a lot of sleep. I invited her and her husband around for dinner recently, and we started early so that Joni could get to bed. I have to point out that despite an enormous workload and long work days, that Joni looks fantastic. Joni Petty, welcome to the Win at Work and Life community, and thank you for joining me to help our listeners understand the concept of sleep debt with World Sleep Day around the corner. Thank you, Nikki. And this is, um, I'm an evangelist about this topic. It's really something that I love to speak about because uh, we spend a third of our lives sleeping. <laughs> Many of us have got into really bad habits around this. Yeah, haven't we just? And I know from having been through trauma, uh, what happens when you can't sleep? It can mm. drive you practically insane. Um, you know, you feel like you're losing it because you're not getting that sleep. And uh, maybe that leads us to, to talk about this corona somnia that you mentioned in your latest ebook on sleep. Tell us a little bit about that. Are more people battling to fall asleep since the coronavirus hit? Two things are happening, Nikki. They're battling to fall asleep, which is one thing because of anxiety and stress and heightened cortisol levels. And uh, the second thing that's happening is that they may fall asleep because they're absolutely exhausted, but then coronasomnia kicks in at about 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and then they cannot get back to sleep. So it's a, it's a, it's really problematic all around. We are seeing um, from worldwide research that this has affected to about, up to about 60% of people. So it's a radical impact. We talk about the COVID pandemic. We talk about the sleep insomnia pandemic as well. So it's a worldwide phenomenon and it has impact on uh, you know lifestyle diseases, 
So it can trigger diabetes too, heart disease, weight gain. Um, and then your point around trauma is a really good point. I think many people are suffering. Uh, you and I have each lost husbands, so we understand that kind of trauma really well. But I'm looking at people who can't bury their loved ones as a result of COVID. They can't mourn culturally like they used to mourn. So um, there are many people suffering a PSTD, a PSD post-traumatic PTSD, PTSD. Yes. Yes. post-traumatic stress disorder um, as a result of the pandemic. And from many different dimensions of life, it could be mourning a loved one, it could be financial stress, it could be, as you talk a lot about, schooling at home and that, you know, work-life integration. So there's so many impacting aspects of this corona somnia. People get a bit confused because it's a, it is a medical term now, but it's actually insomnia as a result of the corona pandemic. Yeah. So, Joni, we often think about sleep as being important for our body and often skip the connection with the brain, that there is so much. And, of course, the brain directs the body, doesn't it? So um, I read in your, in your sleep ebook that the brain literally gets washed during sleep. And I thought that was such a different perspective. And why is it that we need to give our brain, our brains deep sleep and good rest? You know, decision making, um, accidents, Alzheimer's, longevity, all of those things have connections to sleep. It's not just because our body's tired that we need to go to bed. Yes, I'm going to take this one step back for context and then answer your question. And I'm going to um, self-reveal here, Nikki. So I do recall when my children were about 10 and 12, they're now 21 and 23, I decided that sleeping's for the birds. I mean, why am I wasting all this time sleeping? So I actually bought a, um, a Sleep Less series of audiobooks. And I thought, no, this is rubbish. I need 20 hours a day to do what I want to do. As you know, I'm a high energy person and I've got work that I love, research, writing books, uh, you know, hobbies. So four hours, I reckon, was all I can allocate to sleep per day. <laughs> I went on this pilgrimage to find out ways to do this. And um, actually, that's what was happening about uh, 10, 15 years ago, is that um, science was saying, yeah, you know, you can teach yourself to sleep less and the brain can survive on four hours. We now know to your brain question and the neuroscience of this is that actually your brain washes toxins from just wakefulness. So what are those toxins? They're called beta amyloid. And if I describe them in a different way, something that we both can relate to is that uh, many of us floss our teeth twice a day. Why? Because plaque builds up between your teeth. That's exactly what happens between the neurons. And uh, between the neurons, beta amyloid builds up and it's plaque between the neurons. Now, if you and I are going to remember today something that we learned yesterday in a business team meeting, um, or we've read some fantastic research and we're trying to recall it and use it in a webinar, um, we need our brains to be fully operational. And if there's too much plaque in the brain, you cannot recall that new information. In fact, the stat is that if you have one night's bad sleep, your recall of new information goes down by 40%. 
So that plaque buildup is quick. And uh, we do know, you mentioned Alzheimer's and dementia. We do know that actually that is about 20 years in the making. So your habits today, 18th of March, 2021, will inform your biology tomorrow. And it takes about 20 years. So you and I are in our, um, am I allowed to say it, Nikki, mid-50s? Yeah. I've just said it. <laughs> Just over 50, just over 50. <laughs> well, I'm mid-50s this year. And um, what I'm really, really uh, vociferous about is my daily sleep because in my mid-70s, I do not want to have uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. So it's really about uh, what am I doing today to ensure that my brain does flush out the toxins. Do you know that our brains produce up to 700 new neurons per day? depending on what you eat, how you sleep, and how you move. So we used to think from a neuroscience perspective that you're born with that 100 billion cells and you're going to die with a few less because you knocked your head on the um, nursery ground um, jungle gym and then at university you maybe drank too much and then whatever. But no, we can keep on neurogenesis. We keep on growing new neurons. But of course, we want them to talk to each other. So sleep washes out the plaque between those neurons so that they can talk to each other. Oh, that is such a lovely analogy. And when I talk to parents about learning, uh, you know, people will spend money to send their children to good schools to get a good education and then not insist on a regular go to bed time and wake up time, which really sabotages the entire process. Because exactly to your point, to get information moving from short-term memory into uh, working memory into long-term memory, the brain needs to go through different cycles, including sleep and the light sleep and the, and the deep sleep. And all of those things are part of the way in which the brain makes sense of what happened in the day, uh, the way it actually replays something. So whether you have learned uh, a new yoga position or whether your child is learning how to swim or play tennis, there, there are action replays going on in the brain while the brain sleeps. And that reinforces the learning. But we have to sleep for that to happen and we have to get the right quality sleep for that to happen. And for many of us, and if you think about parents, uh, and I know certainly when my children were younger and I was building a business and working from home, which many people are in that situation now, not necessarily building their own businesses, but working from home because of the pandemic, I was probably averaging five to six hours of sleep, of sleep a night, more often five than six. And if you actually survey audiences at the moment, as we do, we know that busy working parents who are managing the pandemic as well are not getting good quality sleep and not getting a lot of it. So this is a massive problem. How much sleep do we really need? So imagine the bell curve, Nikki. And the bell curve starts at seven hours. And then, of course, the, the top of that bell curve is about eight hours. And then it ends at nine hours. So there have been thousands of research studies on the amount of sleep we need. And everyone comes up with between seven and nine hours. So I say to people, you know, Socrates said, knowing thyself is the beginning of wisdom. So you really need to know yourself. But to your earlier point, building a business, I mean, I can resonate 100%. 
those five or six hours a night because there's just too much to do. But having done all of the sleep research, is I'm now really, the minimum is seven hours. Should I have a scratchy throat, feel a little bit lethargic, a bit of kind of like, you know, that sore brain feeling when you've worked too long and hard, you just finished writing another book, you know that feeling well, is that I just actually give myself a little more self-compassion and say, okay, Joni, tonight it's, uh, I'm going to make sure that I sleep about seven and a half or eight hours. I can actually, from a personal immune system, boosting my immune system, and I know my body so well now, and lowering inflammation, if I change my quantity of sleep, I can tell you categorically, my husband can get flu, which he currently does have. You never profit in your own home. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I hope he's listening. Come on, Gav. Come on, Gav. <laughs> um, is I can actually make sure that I don't get the flu so, you know, or that head cold or whatever, because your body is designed to be healthy. And of course, if you boost your immune system and you know your quantity of sleep, you can uh, make sure that you adjust the number of hours. So that leads to a, a question. Um, and that is, what is sleep, sleep debt, which is the title of your latest ebook about sleep? And we'll share where our listeners can get hold of a copy of that just now. But you know, sometimes we say, if we only get five or six hours of sleep a night during the week, and then we are able to sleep in on the weekend and catch up, is that actually healthy? Does that work? So, no, it does not work. And um, the World Sleep Day is tomorrow, and the World Sleep Society, their theme for this year is regular sleep healthy future. So the amount of research being done on uh, sleep and viruses and fighting of viruses um, has really kind of gone through the roof in the last 12 months, understandably. So the regularity of sleep, you, you don't want to get into sleep, sleep debt. So you have to budget for more sleep. And I just think it's really interesting. As a human behaviorist, I love to see how people self-manage. And uh, I'm friends with many, many entrepreneurs because I swim in that pond. And I look at how they manage. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned in your intro, is I run every morning with a whole bunch of mates. Some of them uh, head up businesses um, and corporate, and some of them head up their own businesses. And their self-management around how they budget for better sleep is important. So like you look at your money and whether you're budgeting for a new car or a great holiday, uh, pretty we can't go on those right now, um, <laughs> but uh, even moving house is that you really have to look at planning. And I'm sure all of our mothers said to us, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So sleep debt, you need to budget for it and you cannot make up on the weekends. So if you say, Beverage, you know, during the week time is limited. I'm going to sleep five or six hours and then I'm going to sleep in on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. That is not going to help your brain. It's not. You know, catching up on the odd half an hour here or there may be helpful, but you cannot reset that uh, that brain just by catching up on two days of the week and you've abused your brain and your body for five days of the week. So the circadian clock, and you mentioned your intro as well, um, about me watching the sunrise. I have, in a lot of the sleep studies, it mentions, they mention that actually waking up and watching the sunrise 
And then if you can, watching the sun set really helps your circadian rhythm. And the circadian rhythm as the body clock manages the hormonal production. Um, it manages the whole homeostasis of the body. So that is absolutely ideal. I cannot say hand on heart that I watch the sun set every day, but I can say hand on heart I watch the sun rise every day. That's a controllable in my life. So I just know from a hormonal perspective and a health perspective and a brain perspective, at least I'm doing some things right. So you don't want to get into sleep debt. That's what the ebook is all about. And you have to budget for how do I end choose to end my day. And you mentioned me coming for dinner and your lovely uh, early dinner. And you didn't mention that uh, when I was tired, I just broke up the dinner party. I said to Gavin, my husband, I said, I actually need to leave right now. And it is because I do choose that 4.30 a.m. start to my day. I do meditate at the start of every day. And then I leave the house at five past five to go and meet my mates to run from quarter past five in the morning. So it's how I've chosen to uh, really make my day work for me. But that does mean that I'm in bed um, most nights between half past eight and nine and definitely lights out by about quarter past half past nine latest. Yeah, and you're not apologetic about it either. You're very clear that this is what's good for you and this is what helps you to operate in the world and give of your best. And I really respect that. Now, you mentioned watching the sunrise and circadian rhythms, which is really about the connection between light and our bodies and our brains. Light is an important stimulant um, in terms of switching on certain systems in our bodies. And I think that because we've learned how to control light, as soon as we learned to use electricity in our homes on a regular basis, we could break all the rules of nature. We don't have to, we don't start shutting down and slowing down because we continue to keep the lights burning. If we were back in the day of using torchlight or candlelight or paraffin, it, it was subtle light. Um, so it wasn't bright sunlight. Your brain still got the idea that it was nighttime. And I think our brains and our bodies are so confused about what is day and what is night. You've got a few more hacks that you use around sleep and light and telling the brain that you're starting to slow down and get ready for sleep. Because most of us go hell for leather until five minutes before we go to bed. And then we wonder why we can't switch off. What is your sleep hygiene routine to communicate with your brain that you're starting to slow down and switch off? Okay, I'm so glad you asked that because um, the sleep hygiene routine is clearly what I've got into over the years, um, but it's what I teach people. So whether it's corporate teams or individuals, it's uh, really based on cognitive behavior therapy. So you've got to have a look at how you can retrain yourself and bring in some new rituals into your life so that you start to revere sleep. So what, what do I do? I know this is audio, but um, Nikki and I are on Zoom, so I'm going to show her and I'm going to tell the audience what they can do because I have a special code for them, is that I wear blue blocker glasses. I used to only wear them 60 to 90 minutes before I go to bed. I, I now wear them in the afternoons because we are all on any uh, kind of uh, platform, Zoom, Blue Jeans, Teams, et cetera, far more than we used to. 
So we are spending probably 60% at least more time watching a device, our computer. So what happens uh, to Nikki's point is that actually when the sun sets and we think of the light and how that affects our body, when the sun sets, your pineal gland starts to produce melatonin. Now melatonin gets you into that deep restful sleep and that beta amyloid clock in your brain only gets washed out when melatonin um, is produced and you're in stage four sleep. What are the stages? Stages one and two are light sleep, a dog barks, or there's a you know crack of thunder, you wake up or a door slams. Stage three and four, I can say categorically in my home, my children tease me because we'll wake up in the morning, have our tea and coffee together, and they'll say, oh, they, that two o'clock thunder, that storm, that woke them. And I do not hear it because I go into that stage three and four sleep. So I wear blue blocker glasses in the afternoons and certainly for that 90 minutes before bed. And uh, the gift here, if you like, this, these glasses are called Truly Blue. They are made and assembled by two South African guys. And if you go to our website, resilientpeople.co.za, and put in, uh, it will link you straight to Truly Blue. They've got a funky website where you can try the glasses on and see what suits you. There's so many different models. There's uh, models with plus one and plus two as well. And if you put in Joni as a code, you will get um, a certain percentage off. So that's one of the biohacks is I'm, I'm deliberate and vociferous about wearing my glasses late afternoon, early evening. What is another biohack? So another biohack, um, Nick, you do a lot with uh, speaking about parenting, is that in your children's bedrooms, I would say, you know, children, young children under 10, if they're waking up at night for whatever reason, is I would put red globes in their bedside lamps. So if they're waking up and they need to go to the loo or they need to call you or they've had a nightmare, is that when you go and see them, you're not putting on um, an LED light and bright light because straight away your pineal gland will stop producing melatonin. So if you want to get back to sleep after a nighttime disturbance and you want your children to get back to sleep, uh, red globes are the way to go. Of course, if you put them in your boudoir, that could also create a lovely ambiance and some unintended uh, benefits for you as well. Talking of so, that, talking of that journey, one of the other bits of information that you're really clear on, talking of the boudoir effect, is that your bedroom is for certain things. It is not three for things. other things. So the three, three things. things, just remind our listeners, what are the three, the three things, things that bedrooms are for? They are for sleeping, goes without saying, for reading a novel, paper novel, and for sex. Those are the three things. So what not to do in your boudoir? There should be no TV. There should be no work. And there should be no eating. And there should be no quarreling. And there should be no debate around the maintenance of the house or the parenting of your children. Absolutely, you've got to make your bedroom a sanctuary. And what I've, I've seen over the pandemic is interesting changes worldwide because we haven't been able to, to travel and spend a whole lot of money doing, you know, going out for dinners, et cetera, is a lot of people are investing in their bedrooms. Blackout curtains is a way to go. You want to pitch black, dark bedroom. If you haven't put blackout curtains in, then certainly I wear an eye mask every night. I don't have blackout curtains. So that those shafts of light that come through your bedroom curtains or your blinds don't go into your eyelid, they too will affect your pineal gland. 
So I absolutely, I've got funky masks on my website that are made by the Rhea Walker Foundation and they are just too divine and comfortable. And it's a bit like a Nunu blanket for me now. So when I travel, I take my mask everywhere. It's uh, got a soft velvety um, uh, lining, which really is fantastic. So your bedroom should be dark. Um, it should be 16 degrees. You should wear your glasses. Uh, these are back to my rituals, your glasses in the afternoon or at least 90 minutes before bed. And then I have a pact with my hubby that the minute I open our bedroom door and we both kind of walk in at the end of our day is there is no family discussion. So we are both, uh, we remarried. He has two children. I have two children. We have two grandchildren and we have a daughter-in-law. So there's always some activity stroke, hassle stroke, some debate between uh, four children and two grandchildren. So in the bedroom, in the boudoir, there are none of those discussions. So we walk in there. That's the full stop. That's the breathe out moment for the end of the day. I have a, a ritual in that I go and have an Epsom salts lavender bath every single night. So that is my, I can come off a hectic meeting. Nikki, you and I are often in meetings together at night with the PSASA. And um, I will have eaten beforehand. You shouldn't eat late. Try and eat at sunset as well. And I'll finish that meeting at, let's call it a top estate or whatever. I'll maybe chat to the family in the lounge for a few minutes, but then I head straight for that bathroom and I just soak into that warm bath with Epsom salts. Lavender, we know from a, a um, neuro leadership and neuroscience perspective is phenomenal for the brain. So we've always known that it's a calming herb, but uh, I had a chat once to, or a couple of times actually, to Dr. Tara Swart, who is a neuroscientist and she is a psychiatrist. And she said, Joni, for any of your clients, it's lavender's the way to go. And I literally sink into that bath, read my novel, and I make sure that I'm reading a gripping novel that completely helps me distract myself from my day. Maybe, let me maybe kind of put in here, Nikki, for 30 seconds, what did Joni used to do? So my personality style is I love leadership and I love teams and team performance. So next to my bed, I used to only have leadership books and team performance books and neuroscience books. And I only was self-compassionate at the end of the year at my beach holiday where I read novels until I was on stage with Ariana Huffington four years ago on a resilience conference in Washington, D.C. And... Um, Prior to that conference, I started reading about the sleep revolution. That's actually what ignited my absolute interest and curiosity in sleep. And she said vociferously, as a businesswoman, you should not have business books next to your bed. You should be reading a novel. And uh, that sinking into an Epsom salts bath, reading a novel, I'm completely calm after that 20 minutes, half an hour. It's, it's, it's a game changer for me. And I've made a pact with my family. They can't come into that bathroom and now start, you know, offloading, especially my teenage daughters want to share the latest boyfriend episode. And I love to hear all of that stuff, but not when it's journey time in the bath. Mm, so so you've created that sacred space for you. Exactly. You've claimed some time back for yourself, which yep. is much easier said than done when your children are a little older. Um, <laughs> but, but still, it's it's so important. Now, um, you've also you also talk about power naps because I learned to power nap when my children were younger. And I could literally, my mum used to say, you're amazing, you can sleep anywhere. If I went to fetch them from school, I'd get there a few minutes early and I'd power nap in my car for 10 or 15 minutes. 
if I was at home with my kids in the afternoon, you know, working from home, there was a time when I would close my door. I'd make sure they were obviously looked after by somebody else if they were really, really little or they had something to do while I did this. But I would close my door for half an hour and I would lie there on my bed, meditate, whatever you want to do, meditate, pray. It wasn't a time for reading. I would listen to music. It was a time for just being. Now, power naps. Talk to us about having a nap during the day to catch up. Is there an ideal length? Because I know with uh, babies, we always used to say anything beyond, if you can get them beyond 45 minutes, they will then have a deep sleep. But if it's just a quick nap before dinner, you don't want them to go beyond 45 minutes. But what is it for adults in terms of a power nap? Specifically 20 minutes, not 21, not 22. So the how-to is uh, what people often ask me. It's Joni, how do I have a power nap in 20 minutes? And this is what you do. You go and find your favorite spot, be it on your bed or on a couch on a sunny veranda, and you just get into a comfortable position. I, because my body and brain associate my eye mask with wonderful deep sleep, as I have my eye mask at hand, I always put that on and I get into a comfortable position. I've trained myself, Nikki, over the years to go to sleep on my left-hand side and to power nap on my right-hand side. So I've got a Hmm. biofeedback mechanism that happens in my body and so you do this over time but I'm giving you the shortened version is you get on your bed and you're re- you relax you make sure that absolutely your eyes are dark I actually put a soft pillow over my head so I don't hear sound and then I use Dr. McCullough's breathing technique which is also medically researched and I use this clearly during the day when I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or need to reprioritize my to-do list but I certainly use it at the start of a power nap And the Dr. McCola breathing technique is very simple. There are three stages to it. The first stage is the breathe in. And you breathe in to the count of four. You then hold your breath for seven counts. So holding your breath, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And then you breathe out as hard and as loudly as you can for eight counts. So out your mouth. So I do that two or three times to relax myself. So that's the brain interrupter that I use. So I'm curled up in a fetal position. I'm twiggled my toes, relaxed my toes, relaxed my hands, got really comfy. It's dark. And I do two or three rounds of that breathing technique. I also give myself permission not to sleep because performance anxiety is alive and well in all of us. So if you think I'm only, yeah, Joni said it's only going to be a 20 minute power nap for me as an adult. What happens if it takes me 16 minutes to power nap or get to sleep? Sorry. And I've only got four minutes of my power nap left. Well, it doesn't matter. It does it. So you've just, you've relaxed your body, you've blanked out the world and you just, even if you breathe like that for 16 minutes and you drop off for four minutes, you have still given your brain a reboot. So that is how to do it. And of course, uh, the good old Gary Player saying, the more you practice, the luckier you get. So as a little fun war story, I can remember one January, I used to do a lot of work with Sunlum and Belleville in Cape Town and uh, the Johannesburg red-eye flight, 6 a.m. to get there, to go and 
run a workshop. I was exactly like you were in terms of fetching your children. I could power nap in January heat in Cape Town, in my car, in the Belleville parking lot, which has no shade and no trees. I used to tell um, the guy who opens the boom, Phineas, I used to say, listen, I'm power napping. My window's open. I actually dribble when I power nap and my mouth will be open. Please do not think I've died. And uh, I used to know him by name, obviously, because I was there frequently. And he was standing at my window the one day. He said, Joni, you were dribbling. And I did think you had died. I've been standing here for 20 minutes and I thought you're never going to wake up. And we laughed our heads off because I woke up. I looked dreadful because I had to dribble all over my chin. I wiped that off, put a new lashing of lipstick on and off I went to the auditorium feeling like I'd had a full night's sleep. And it's just, the, it's actually my greatest resilience tool in my imaginary toolbox. And I often say to my daughters who are now, you know, running their own lives, is that uh, what is the greatest resilience uh, trick or technique that I've taught you? And they both mention the 20 minute power nap. Mm. Uh, for me, it's a saving grace, you know, to be able to do that at will. And that does take yep. practice and training. And sometimes on the most stressful of days, that's the time when you need to do it most, when you need to yep. build in that moment where there is no screen, no phone, no demand yep. on you. Yep. And it really is amazing how it changes up your ability to make good decisions. And if you're a parent, we do our worst parenting when we're tired. That's exactly. when we make snap decisions, when we react as opposed to yep. responding. So to build our resilience and our responsiveness rather than reactiveness, it actually all starts with how much rest we're getting, how much sleep we're getting, whether our brains have actually been able to opt out for a while. And because of what we've actually said, if listeners have been listening, your brain's not doing nothing when you're sleeping. Your brain is doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. It's the most incredible machine that we have. And we really do need to start caring for it more. Joni, thank you for your time. You've been so generous with sharing with us today. I know you're an incredibly busy person. And I'd like to ask you if you could share where our listeners can download your new sleep ebook. Where can they get hold of that? I'd really like them to send an email to info at resilientpeople.co.za and we'll send that ebook to them. And then I'd really like them to go to the website to order their Truly Blue glasses. Our websites are back-end linked, Truly Blue. So you would click on Truly Blue. It would take you straight to the website, see all the styles. And then instead of just uh, going to the checkout, is type in the voucher code JONI, J-O-N-I, and you will get uh, a discount off your first pair of glasses. Fantastic. And just to tell our listeners, your website is resilientpeople.com. CO.za, and you can also get hold of Joni there if you want her to speak at one of your events or work with your teams to improve their resilience. Joni, before I let you go, there's something else in your sleep debt ebook where you talk about um, the 21 day sleep budget tracker. Yes. What is that all about? Obviously, 21 days creates a new habit. That's where you're going with this, I'm assuming. That's it. That's it. So I'm really wanting people to learn to self-manage vastly differently. 
So we do know that uh, if you start to be more self-aware, you start to change some limiting beliefs, you look at the impact on your body, on your brain, on how you speak to your children, your colleagues, and then you change your behavioral patterns. So I've got a um, resilience cycle, which I use with people in a resilience up assessment. And we've got that self-coaching tool embedded in that using artificial intelligence. So the tracker is built off that, Nikki. The tracker is how do I just become more self-aware in order to change some of my limiting beliefs? And how do I track that for 21 days? In fact, as you mentioned that, um, if people email me on info@resilientpeople.co.za, I will link them to a sleep webinar that we're doing for an hour on the 30th of March. We're doing this worldwide. And then if you book for that, we are going to set up a closed Facebook group for 21 days. And I will be the accountability partner, your sleep partner for 21 days um, in that closed Facebook group. And it really is to enable people to self-manage and to give them cognitive behavior techniques for changing their sleep hygiene um, and really making sure that they get far more rest and recovery. Because uh, the point we made earlier, it's not only quantity of sleep. You might be getting quantity and say, gee, Joni, but I sleep seven and a half or eight hours a night. I just don't wake up without an alarm. And I certainly don't wake up refreshed. So then we do need to look at your quality of sleep. And there are many other things and tips we can give you on how to change quality of sleep and get that deep stage four when you can flush out the toxins. Mm. Well, that sounds like an amazing plan. And I'm sure our listeners are going to connect with you and get hold of all these interesting biohacks, special offers, etc. You've been telling me to get these glasses for years. I really have to do that. So Joni, thank you once again for convincing us that we can get more rev from our REM, REM being exactly. I love that. And here's to regular sleep and a healthy future. To our listeners, please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.